Welcome everyone to Just Crypto. My name is Vanessa and we have got an amazing special guest here today to talk about hardware wallets, uh, security with your crypto, self-custody, um, and to give his thoughts on the ledger controversy that's happened. We've had a lot of opinions batting back and forth. Uh, we've got a true expert now to talk with us. I'd like to welcome Lishan Liu, who is the CEO of Keystone, Keystone Hardware Wallets. Uh, Lishan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. Yeah, and it's, it's great to have you here. And I think we've got a lot of good topics to, to dig into. Um, before we do start, as we always say here, this show is about learning, not FOMO. So none of this is financial advice. Uh, put your wallet away. Uh, metaphorically, put your thinking cap on. Um, and we'll kind of get into a lot of details. Uh, one of the things that we love to do here is engage with folks who are here live in the chat. Uh, so if you are here, just uh, say hi. Let us know who's here. Uh, if you have any questions for Lishan as we go or comments and thoughts, uh, we can definitely uh, address those as well. Uh, I want to say hi to South Padre Tony. Uh, always great to have you uh, on the show and had to have you joining us. Um, you know, Monero... Uh, uh, fam is in the house as well. Um, so let's let's start to get to know you a little bit, Lishan, before we dive into the technical details. Um, can you share a bit about uh, how you found the uh, crypto world and your background in, in crypto and kind of working in the industry? Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. First, I wanted to say that I'm, I'm super respectful for this, especially when I see the, the, the headline, learn more, form or less. I think this is something <laughs> to do in the community. Okay. Uh, back to the introduction. Uh, so I, I I knew Bitcoin back in 2009 when I was in college. So at the time I was like job hunting at the uh, fourth year of my college. So I spent tons of time on Google Read, Google Reader at that time. And I still remember that around Christmas of 2009, my Google Reader was flooded by the topics of Bitcoin. So that's the first time I knew Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I thought... It, it was really, really cool. The idea was really, really cool, but I didn't know if the consensus would be reached. So I didn't do anything at that time. I just learned about Bitcoin. I didn't do mining. I didn't do anything. So then uh, the funny thing is that we know that a cycle of Bitcoin usually is like four years. So my journey for Bitcoin is also like four years. So four years later, it comes to 2013. At that time, I was running a startup in China, and my partners, they are both graduated from Stanford University. So they read a lot of news from the, from the U.S. And at that time, they told me that, hey, listen, you should check out Bitcoin. And then I found that, oh, wow, it's coming to like 100 bucks at that time. So there's a big spike at that time. So a lot of attractions at that time. And then that's the first time I bought my Bitcoin on Mongox. So that's my first Bitcoin. Oh. In and then did, did you leave it on Mt. Gox? You, <laughs> yeah. So oh. that's it. Yeah. That's why. It, so and and then at the time I was working on hardware. So I was making a drone at the time. Uh, also, that com that company was founded by two PhDs from Stanford from Stanford University, and also we established some close relationship with Apple. Uh, so I did a lot of things there. So we did the whole from zero to one thing for that drone company. And then it comes to 2017, another four years later. Yeah, at that time, I uh, that company was uh, invested by Snapchat. And then I left the company to come back to my hometown. I was in Beijing at the time. So I came back to Shanghai. My wife was pregnant. So I left the company and came back to Shanghai. And then I was incubated one by one of the biggest miners here in China. 
he found he found me saying that hey Lishin, you have the ability of making hardware and you can also sell hardware worldwide why don't you make a hardware wallet and uh, yeah that's the first time that i i knew bitcoin but until 2017 i got into the hardware wallet industry so it's been five years we're making at the end of 2017 and in the beginning of 2018 we started making uh, the hardware wallet so it's been five years yeah, and uh, for the it was very interesting for the for the journey of the five years. At the at the beginning of uh, three and a half years, we were very dedicated to Bitcoin security. So because I knew Bitcoin, I love Bitcoin. So I came from Bitcoin. Uh, I come from Bitcoin community. So uh, in the first place, we were just working on Bitcoin security, and we did a lot of stuff. We were the first hardware that hardware wallet that introduced the QR code scanning process into the hardware and software interaction because you know the bitcoin community they're really really paranoid so <laughs> we love the idea that you never connect your hardware wallet to a laptop that's why we started from there and also we did very well we did very well on bitcoin multi-signature we also uh, co-authored a bitcoin improvement proposal which is bip 129 for improving the security of Bitcoin multi-sig. So we did a lot of things in Bitcoin security. And we also integrate our hardware wallet with many software wallets in the Bitcoin community, like Blue Wallet, Spiral, Spectre, also Casa, which was founded by Jeff. Uh, and then after three and a half years, uh, around 2022, uh, we, we missed the whole DeFi summer. And around 2022, I was kind of convinced by the idea of Ethereum. So <laughs> I'm a very old school Bitcoin guy. So I was kind of convinced by Ethereum later after the whole DeFi summer. Uh, and then we started working on Ethereum. And after we started to... The, another funny story is that when we were working on Bitcoin security, uh, I was I was connected to MetaMask team at that time, but they 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 were saying that Lishin, do you want to integrate Keystone with MetaMask? I said no because we were working. Oh, on... <laughs> that was 2019. That was 2019. I said no, no, no. I want dedicated to Bitcoin security. Uh, the funny thing is that after we we started working on Ethereum, uh, we got connected to MetaMask again, and then we started working on. Uh, the integration with MetaMask. So at the end of 2022, uh, we were integrated with MetaMask extension. And in the beginning of 2023, uh, we were integrated to MetaMask mobile. So right now, Keystone is a hardware. If you want to, if you use both MetaMask extension and you get MetaMask mobile, you can use Keystone to sign a transaction on both ends. So uh, you heard a lot of words of integration. Actually, that's also something um, heavily differentiated differentiate Keystone because we don't want it to like our user to stick to our own software wallet, but we integrate our hardware with many, many software wallets. We, we vision the future that every software wallet needs some kind of perfect hardware wallet support. And that's our position because right now you can feel that Ledger is kind of competing with other software wallets because they want more users to get onto Ledger Live so that there's some kind of cool business model on Ledger Live. 
not just only set, set, sell hardware with. So that's the biggest differentiator. There are also other differentiators on the products between Keystone and Ledger. I can explain it later, but sorry, I'm extending yeah. too much for, for the introduction of myself. No, no, this is fantastic. And I think, you know, the big takeaway for me from this is, you know, one, not only have you been in the crypto community for a very long time, uh, you know, longer than pretty much anyone probably who's who's watching this, but you've actually been working and building and contributing to the security of core chains like Bitcoin uh, from mm -hmm. almost, you, you know, the, the, the start. And so I think from a credential perspective, as in like, why should we care about what, what, what you say? I think you've got a good answer to that, which, which is you have the expertise, you've built the company, you've made contributions to various different blockchains. And I think that's tremendously important as we go forward with kind of this, this conversation, which at times might get spicy, just to realize that you're coming from that perspective. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you. I um, did also want to give a shout out to Sirkarin. Uh, welcome. Uh, Sirkarin's been here for a lot of these discussions about uh, Ledger and everything going on. So great to have you here. If anyone else is here, drop a hi. Love to, love to see uh, who's here. Uh, but let's start to talk a, a little bit about hardware wallets. And uh, maybe you could lay out, like, why are hardware wallets important? Uh, why, why are they even a thing versus software wallets? Um, and then we can get into a bit more of how, they, how hardware wallets work. Okay. So... Uh... Howard, well, actually, Howard comes very early, around the 2014 and 15. It comes up with the idea of the hardware wallet. So, uh, because I've been the old, I've been the old days for there's no ledger, no treasure, no any hardware wallets. At that time, when people they wanted to protect their like private keys, especially for the biggest miners here in China, they usually use a mobile phone, which is a like I know a lot of them are using a modular LG mobile phone hmm. as a hardware wallet because they put their private keys in the hardware wallet and turn that mobile phone into airplane mode. And one of the good, one of the big benefit of that LG mobile modular phone is that you can take out the battery. So they prepare a lot of batteries and one mobile phone and put that in a safe. So this is the basic idea of hardware wallet. So the very basic idea is that you should remove your private keys from any online environment. So you should not put that in a iCloud. You should not put that in a one password. You should not put that in a software wallet on your laptop or your mobile phone. You should remove that completely from the online environment. So that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate reason that people are using hardware wallet. And all the signing process, I mean, if you use the, because when you're making a transaction, basically what you do is you're using the private key to sign a transaction. And the, the signing process should also happen totally offline. So that's the second thing for hardware wallet. And the, the third thing for hardware wallet, which is really important is that the hardware wallet should have a screen so that you can confirm the transaction on your hardware wallet. Because in the old days, in the very old days, uh, some of the hardwares, including Ledger, they don't have a screen. So the first generation of Ledger, they don't have a screen. And people cannot verify the transaction, which means that if your software wallet is hacked and then sending a malicious transaction to your hardware wallet for signing, and then you cannot verify it and you sign it and gone, your Bitcoin gone. So that's the basic idea of hardware wallet. You remove the private key from the online environment and also you have you use the hardware wallet to sign a transaction totally offline 
And the third is you have a screen on the hardware wallet to fully confirm the transaction before signing the transaction. So that's the basic idea of a hardware wallet. Awesome. So you've talked a bit about how to mitigate the risk of essentially your, your key being uh, online in, in some aspects. What are some of the other risks that you need to be aware of um, for, for your key, particular to hardware wallets to ensure security? Uh, we're going to get into a conversation about the secure enclave and, and how Ledger's, Ledger's looking yeah. at that. Uh, but if you could kind of go maybe a layer deeper and say, okay, what other threats is the hardware supposed to mitigate? Okay. So another thing, people should pay attention to, of course, is the recovery phase, right? How do you keep your recovery phase? How do you restore your recovery phase? This kind of thing. So actually, um, both Keystone and the Trezor, we both have a feature called Shamir Backup. Actually, Ledger is also using almost the same thing in their scheme. Basically, the Shamir Backup is that you are breaking your recovery phase into like three pieces, and you can use two of them to recover your original uh, recovery phrase or your original private key. So that's the basic, uh, basic idea of Shamir backup. You can do two slash three or three slash five or even five slash nine, you can do like that. So that's the first thing you can do to protect your recovery phrase because um, you can, with, with that scheme, you are able to, for example, put one of the sheer uh, in your friend's place and you don't need to worry about your friend can take away your money. So take, out, take away your assets. So that's the first thing people should pay attention to. And the second thing you just mentioned, which is uh, we call it a secure element or secure enclave. Uh, in, in iPhone, they call them secure enclave, but usually in the uh, industry of security, people call it a secure element. So basically, uh, Trezor, they wanted to make their product as open source as possible. Uh, but to be honest, as a hardware uh, industry guy, I have to tell you that it's impossible to make a 100% open source hardware wallet because there are always some kind of code underlying there, which is not, not written by Trezor and they cannot open source that. So that's the thing. But why so, is that? What, which, which code is this that can't be open sourced? For example, there are some kind of chips or some kind of like electronic elements in this device. And that electronic elements, they're like base layer of a driver for that small thing. And for that code, it cannot be open source because it's not written by Trezor. Okay, so they're using chips that other people have manufactured yeah. in their drivers and they don't have a license to open source. Yeah, yeah. so it's almost impossible. If you wanted to make a fully open source hardware wallet, you have to like make every components of the hardware wallet by yourself and every line of code by yourself. Then you can say, okay, this is 100% open source. But I really admire and respect Trezor and they, they want to deliver a hardware wallet as open source as possible. And for the, the, secure, the secure element, it cannot be fully open source. And one step further is code card. You must know code card, right? Uh, by yes. Yeah. yeah, I also knew him. Uh, code card do one more step, which is they are just using the secure element. Uh, the, the very basic idea is that they're just using secure element to store the private key. And when they're using the private key, uh, when they are signing the transaction, it's not happening in the secure element. 
So this is the way how they protect there. Because this the most important thing for secure element is that when a uh, when a hacker he he steal your hardware wallet, he falsely open the hardware wallet, then he can extract the ID from the hardware wallet. So that's the uh, the biggest uh, the biggest disadvantage of Trezor because they cannot prevent that. So code card is making something more advanced because code card NDK is using the secure element to store the private key. Uh, but it's also open source because the, the secure element just, just storing the private key, not doing the algorithms, the cryptographic algorithm, the algorithms when signing the transaction. So that's what they do. Uh, so Ledger is a little bit backwards because they're using the secure element to store the cover phrase and the sign the transaction. So every every detail, so everything for that part is closed source. So that's why the community are saying, okay, Ledger is a closed source hardware wallet because the most essential parts are closed source. So I think also among the hardcore Bitcoiners, we all think that code card is the best way to do this because it's a balance between security and open source. Yeah. And, and is, the, is the additional security um, achieved by separating the, the processes and having something that's very simple done in the secure element? Uh, and so mm -hmm. there's, there's less attack surface or what, what gives it that extra security? Um, because as I said, so usually when you are, so when you are, if you have your hardware wallet and your hardware wallet is at your hand, it's not stolen by anyone then you don't need to worry about someone extracting your mm. private key from the device because everything's happening there. So that's, that's, the, that's the thing. The thing you need to worry is if your hardware wallet is stolen, if your treasure is stolen, there are a lot of articles on the internet saying that if a hacker get your treasure, they can get your recovery phrase within like 20 minutes to 30 minutes under the price of 50 bucks. They just need some mm -hmm. equipment around 50 to 100 bucks and then they can extract your private key. That's because treasure is not using a secure element to store your recovery phrase. Ah, uh, okay. But the card is just using secure element to store the recovery phase, but when they're doing the algorithms or the or the signing process, it's not in the secure element, but in the MCU, which is a general processor. So, but then all the code are open source. So you know how it's signing the transaction, how you are like deriving your private keys into your like the parent private key to the, the children private key. So this is how they, they do this thing. So Code card is the better way. And right now, almost all the, including Passport, including Keystone, we're also leaning towards the, the method that Code card is using. Very interesting. I think Sirkarin's uh, kind of uh, echoing what I say, which is, yikes. And I had no idea that if someone got your Trezor, they could basically get your private key. That's that's a little scary. Um, so let's let's talk about Ledger. Uh, what yep. what what are they offering from from your perspective as someone who kind of knows uh, a little more about the technology and the cryptography? Uh, like mm -hmm. if you could explain the the system to us and and perhaps your thoughts on uh, what you think they're doing well, where they went wrong, and why you see the controversy uh, sparked up from them. Uh, so the thing that Ledger did, if you if we summarize that in one sentence, is that they are breaking the original assumption, original security assumption for a hardware wallet. 
So as I said, basically how we will do is removing your recovery phase from an online environment, but Ledger is breaking that. But they're not simply upload your coverage. That's impossible, right? They are, they, they are having some kind of special schemes to protect that, but they are breaking the very basic security assumption for hardware wallet, which is never let your recovery phrase touch the online environment in any form. So that's that's what they do in one sentence. So basically the scheme, the scheme is that they use something called uh, Shamir, the scheme of Shamir secret sharing, just like I said, Shamir, people can search for this word, S-H-A-M-I-R, Shamir secret sharing scheme. So with that, they can break your recovery phrase into three pieces. And either two of them, if they have two of them, they can recover your, they can recover your recovery phrase. So that's the scheme. So break it into three pieces. So first, they will encrypt that recovery phrase with some kind of private key embedded in the ledger device. They didn't disclose how they store that private key. That's, I think that's one of the biggest issue here. But they use a private key, which is uh, preloaded into mm -hmm. the device. And they use that private key to encrypt your recovery phrase first. And then they break that encrypted version. They, they break that encrypted version into three pieces and put three pieces in three companies. One, one is in the server of Ledger and the other are other two third-party companies. So this is basically the scheme. So if you wanted to recover your recovery phrase, uh, you need to, oh, sorry. The first step is that you need to do KYC with another company called OnFido. And if you wanted to recover that, you need to do that KYC with, you need to do that verification with OnFido first because you did the KYC with them. So you do the uh, verification with them first, and then you get uh, three pieces or you just need two pieces. You don't need all of them three pieces. You get the two pieces in uh, of, the, of the share into your ledger device. And then you use that two pieces to like, to recover the original piece, which is the encrypted piece of the recovery phrase, and then use the uh, private key to uh, decrypt it, that part, and then you get your recovery phrase. So that's the way how they are using this. Um, the biggest downside of this, a lot of people are talking about this. I think almost all of them are cracked. So the, the first thing of this is that you are leaking your KYC information to a company which you call Unfido. So that company knows that uh, who you are, where you live, and also you are a crypto owner and you are also a ledger owner. And obviously ledger owners are usually people with bigger assets of crypto. So that's the first like risk point. The second thing is that the three companies, if two of them, the second thing is that Ledger keep that private key, keep that encryption private key. That's also another, we call it a single point failure. So if anything happened to that private key, you cannot decrypt your recovery phrase. That's the second uh, risk point. The third risk point are those three companies. So let's say if one company buy another company, if, if Ledger buy another company or the two third part companies, third part companies, they buy each other or merge with each other. And then they have a single entity have two pieces of your uh, secret. 
that's the thing. And also another possibility is that if there's some kind of um, bad actors in that company, maybe just a handful of bad actors, they may be able to get your secret. So that's mm -hmm. another risk point. And also another big thing I think very few people mention is that if you are a normal user and uh, Ledger said this service is mostly for some like newcomers, very newcomers to the crypto uh, community. For those newcomers, I think most of them were just to use Ledger Recover. They won't use the the a piece of paper or some something in metal to 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 store their recovery phrase anymore. Mostly, most likely, they will use the the service of Ledger Recover. And here, another tricky thing is that if they use if they just use Ledger Recover and they cannot recover their wallet, their private key on any other software or hardware wallets. That's another risky thing. Mm. So because if maybe one day Ledger fail, right? Maybe one day um, some bad thing happened, you are a newcomer, you don't keep your original recovery phrase on a piece of paper or on a metal to engrave that. And then you lost everything. Yeah. Well, Those are some, some good things to, to be concerned about. Uh, one thing I've, I've heard a lot of uh, discussion back and forth, uh, the, the team is, uh, the ledger team is saying that they're not sharing your, your, your key, your private key off the device. Uh, now, as I, I listen to you talk about it, 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 my perspective is that it seems like they're splitting your private key, you know, doing encryption, et cetera, but effectively sharing it off the device because two people can come together and recreate it together with this uh, uh, key that Ledger has. Yeah, yeah, together with the key, the encryption key that Ledger has, yeah. So basically it, they're not, they're sharing, they're moving the recovery phrase into online environment, but in a encrypted form. So that's the exact way of saying this. So if they say we're not like, um, moving your recovery phase on online environment, I think that's quite misleading. Very interesting. Is there a, a distinct difference between recovery phrase and private key that's worth uh, okay. talking about? Or are those effectively the same thing because the recovery phrase can recover the private key? Uh, yeah, they're almost the same thing. So uh, the, the exact word is derive. So you derive your master private key from the recovery phase and then use the master private key to derive into different keys, keys for your Bitcoin, keys for your Ethereum, keys for your Monero. So this is how, how it works. Interesting. So, so is there any benefit um, for storing these, um, these, these pieces, these recovery keys uh, versus storing a seed phrase? Like for average users, should they be storing recovery keys instead or is it the same practically? Uh uh, there's a uh, in the in the very old days, people are storing their private keys. In the very old days, but the but the but the downside of the private key is that it's a long string with just ran, random number and alphabets. Uh, so there's no yeah. you have no clue that what does it mean. So it's a long string. So it's very random. And when people when people try to write it down, a lot of people make a lot of mistakes. For example, zeros and O or mm -hmm. one and L, people make a lot of mistakes and handwriting are different. So then it comes up the idea of a recovery phrase. 
people use because all the recovery phrase they're like normal words. The first the first word of recovery phrase is abandoned. So you are less likely to make mistake with that like normal words. So then uh, all the software wallet supports uh, deriving from recovery phrase into your private key. And then you can write down 12 or 24 words, which you're familiar with. It's much less likely to make a mistake there. So that's the idea behind the recovery phrase. One of the other discussions that I've, I've seen is this idea that even if you don't opt into the service, so Ledger has said, it's an opt-in service. What's everyone getting so upset about? If you don't want to use it, don't use it. Uh, and some mm -hmm. people have said, well, that's fine, but you're updating the firmware and it's increasingly attack surface potentially because now the yeah. firmware contains this ability to send your, your recovery phrase off the device. Yeah, correct. So actually that, that's the original idea of when we're making Keystone hardware wallet. So because we were we come from, we were origin, originally from the miners community here in China and Bitcoin community, and the, all those people are super paranoid. So when, when I was making Keystone, I did a lot of interviews with them. Uh, I was saying that what's the most anxious time when you're using hardware wallet? And the, the, the answer is pretty aligned. The, the first thing is that when they're writing down their recovery phase, when they're dealing with the recovery phase, initiating their uh, setting up their hardware wallet, that's the first moment. And the second moment is when they're plugging the USB cable into the laptop. That's something mm -hmm. they're more anxious because you don't know what's getting to your hardware wallet and what's getting out of your hardware wallet. If it's open source, it's better because open source, you can see the code. But if it's closed source and you connect a USB cable to your laptop, you don't know what's happening. Also, I think this is the same situation for Ledger. You're, up, you're upgrading to a new firmware and you don't know what's happening. It's closed source and you are connecting your device with a USB cable to a laptop. So that's the basic idea of Keystone hardware wallet. We use QR code. We use QR code to transfer that information rather than use a USB cable and all the QR code are open, which means that we're open source. And if you don't know the code or the geek stuff, you cannot review the code, then you can just review the QR code that you're scanning. So you know what's mm -hmm. you know exactly what is getting to your keystone and what is getting out of your keystone. So so we know that because we we come from the very old school Bitcoin community, we have the the methodology or the mindset that the trust should build up upon transparency, right? Open source is a kind of transparency, and QR code is another layer of transparency. Transparency we want to add into this kind of hardware wallet and software wallet communication situation. So. Yeah, this is where we come from. Yeah, and so that's that's maybe something that a lot of people haven't thought of because you you see uh, Ledger and other devices adding you know Bluetooth and USB, uh, but it's exactly true that you don't know what's being transmitted, and at least with the QR code you can see <laughs> what's yeah, can there. See. Um, and also we we release some open source software wallet with that uh, open source software, and you can use that to verify the QR code before you scan that with your hardware wallet. This is awesome. So we've, we've talked about a few uh, different aspects that we need to consider um, uh, just in regards to how the hardware wallet works, how that's secured. What other things would you recommend people look at in terms of 
choosing a hardware wallet uh, in terms of functionality and capabilities that are important for them to consider. Okay, so I, I still recommend people that using a hardware wallet with a uh, secure element because um, you cannot keep your hardware wallet like all the time with you, like carry it around all the time. Sometimes you, you put it at home and maybe your home is like uh, hacked or, or something. So I still, I still recommend people that using hardware wallet with secure element. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, um, open source is really, really important because we've been in the process of, uh, uh, because the first generation of Keystone, we didn't, open, we didn't open source that. And for the second generation, we open source that. We went through the open source process. Open source, it just, it doesn't mean, it, it, it's not, it, it doesn't mean that you just put your code on GitHub. Open source is like a whole project for a company. Because if you open source your code, and then your, your like security assumption are totally different. Because if you're not open source, you can, you can have some kind of hidden scheme to prevent from the, from the hacker. But if you're open source, the first thing is that everything's open. And then you have a, like, for example, it, let's say maybe it's in, oh, let's forget. It's not a good, a good idea. Uh, for example, uh, if you open source the, how, uh, the code of the hardware wallet, you have to carefully examine every line of your code. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you open source your code, everyone is examine your code carefully. And you are with time going on, your hardware wallet is becoming stronger and stronger, more and more robust. So open source is really important. It's not just it's about transparency. It's also about security. So there's potentially a point uh, initially when you open source that it could place slightly more security risk as it doesn't have that, that time effect of the community yeah. looking at it and, and trying to find those issues. Yeah, 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 that's correct. So if you're a new hardware wallet, if you open source, maybe you should be very, very careful with that. But if you a hardware wallet that's been open source for three years, for five years, and then you are more comfortable, you should be more comfortable, you'll be able to be more comfortable with that. So that's the thing. So I've seen so, a lot of people call for Ledger to be open source. Maybe that's something that uh, if we get that, it might earn, turn out pretty badly for everyone. Yeah. And another thing I should mention is that if you are a, um, I, I think maybe your audiences are more like more mature and they have more experience with blockchain. Another thing I should mention is that you should be really careful with what you are signing. I'm saying this because a lot of people they are they are doing they are signing their transactions uh, for Uniswap for all the DeFi, right? So, uh, so for the for the DeFi transaction, it's not just a simple transaction. You are sending your Ethereum or sending your Bitcoin to someone else. It's a it's a complicated interaction with the DeFi protocol. So on Keystone and on some of the other hardware wallets, what we do is that we're trying to decode that complicated transaction into some kind of form that people can read. This is also really important. For example, mm -hmm. if you are doing Uniswap, right? Another another interesting when you are doing Uniswap is that. Uh, when you are doing a Uniswap transaction, you should tell the protocol that you are swapping Ethereum to Uni and then you are sending Uni to a specific address. 
you are telling the protocol that do this do this swap for me and after the swap sending the unit to this address usually this address is the address you initiate the transaction and this is your address right but if your software wallet is hacked or your chrome is hacked the hacker can swap that destination address mm. his address so this is actually this is another big risk another uh another founder in this industry his name uh, uh, he's the founder of Nexus, which is a, it's very like interesting. It's a insurance project called Nexus. He was hacked because his Chrome was hacked and the hacker just swapped that destination address. So after the swapping, he sent that unit to the hacker's address. So that's something also really risky that you should check out what you're signing on your hardware wallet, just not just blindly signing everything, sending into your hardware wallet. In the, in the Ethereum core community, we call that blind signing or YOLO signing. You only leave one. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely done that myself. And I think even on, on Ledger, you have to turn on blind signing for certain dApps to work correctly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Actually, that's very interesting. If you, if you use Ledger with Ledger Live, Ledger can tell you, if you're using the swap service in Ledger Live, Ledger can tell you what you are signing. But if you're using Ledger with MetaMask with those steps, you don't know what you are signing. You are blind in signing. So Ledger is trying to like tell people you should use more Ledger Live rather than MetaMask. This is this is very interesting. But we are trying to decode all the things we can decode. Right now we can decode about a hundred and twenty thousand smart contract transactions. Uh, including all the famous DeFi projects like Uniswap. If that DeFi project is open source, uh, some are not open source. If it's open source, most likely Keystone can decode that transaction for you so you know what exactly you're signing. Very interesting. Is there anything else uh, that you'd say people should look for when they're considering a hardware wallet? Mm, I think another thing people should pay attention to is that uh, don't buy the hardware wallet from eBay or any second second-hand uh, like platforms. You should buy the hardware wallet from the original, uh, original like the manufacturer of the hardware wallet. That's also something very important because uh, Trezor was also suffering from that because you, you bought that from some un unauthorized reseller and he just swapped the thing, swapped the, the device for you and then people are hacked. So this is also very important. Um, and also protect your privacy uh, when you're buying hardware. You can use a PO box or something like that to uh, for better privacy, better privacy. That's, that's another good point. So let's let's dive into to Keystone and uh, share with folks a little bit more about the products that you offer and the solutions that you have. Um, so mm -hmm. I've got the website up here of, of Keystone. Um, yeah, maybe maybe talk us through it and uh, direct me where we should go and what we should look at. Ah, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so basically, you can see the device. The interesting part of the device, I just mentioned that in the old days, people are using modular phones to protect your recovery phrase, uh, protect their, their private key as a hardware wallet. So the first thing of Keystone is that we have this modular battery. So you can remove the battery when you are not using the hardware. Yeah, that's the first thing. And also at the back of the device, we do have a camera. Uh, this is a camera. Uh, the camera can be used to, to scan the QR code and beneath the camera, there's a uh, fingerprinting sensor. So you can also authorize your transaction just with your finger, just a finger tap. 
this is also something we do. And also, this is a picture that you can you can load your NFT onto your device as a avatar of the device. So make something special for you. Uh, so this is also what we do. Uh, and also we another thing I should mention is that uh, Keystone where we're integrating with our hardware wallet with almost, we're trying to integrate our hardware wallet with all the software wallet. Right now we have done with MetaMask, both MetaMask Extension and MetaMask Mobile. If you are, uh, sorry, we haven't done any for Monero software wallet, but we're talking with them. And if you are a Cosmos user, if you are a Cosmos user, we have integrated with Kepler wallet, which is the top top software wallet in the Cosmos ecosystem. And also we're working with Solana in the Solana ecosystem uh, with Soflare. And also, yeah, these are the list we, are, we, we have integrated with. So you can almost like XRP, we're also working with Cardano community right now to integrate our product with, with their software wallet. So basically Keystone is like a, we call it, it's a signing monster. You can, you don't, also the idea behind Keystone is that maybe in, in the coming years, when you are using a new software wallet or even that software wallet is closed the source, you don't need to import your recovery face there. You can just use Keystone to sign the transaction. So then you're, you're safe. Even the software wallet is closed the source. So this is something we want to achieve. And this is also one of the biggest differentiators between Keystone and other hardware wallets. Uh, talk, talk, talk through that again, um, just so that we, we all understand. So um, mm -hmm. if you've got a software wallet, uh, essentially, even if it's closed source, because you've got Keystone as the signer for it, uh, you are effectively secured by all the hardware um, wallet and all the air gaps and everything else that you've got. So it doesn't matter that the wallet, the software wallet's closed source. Uh, it's better to be open source. It's better to be open source. But right now, the situation is that... Uh, for example, in the Ethereum community, uh, if I recall that correctly, only MetaMask is open source. All the other software wallet, they are mm -hmm. closed because they wanted to protect their code with some proprietary code that they want to protect data. Also with closed source, closed source also make their work easier. That's also another very interesting because if closed source, they don't need to, uh, they can run faster. I, I was talking to a lot of software wallets uh, they were just telling me that if closed source, they can run faster because if you're open source, you need to do very thorough mm. like code review before push that code into your GitHub, right? So if closed source, they can run faster. That's the thing. So right now, a lot of software wallet, almost all the software wallet in the uh, Ethereum ecosystem are closed source, but MetaMask is open source. So people, for me, I'm kind of worried if I'm using a closed source software wallet, but if I use Keystone with that closed source, closed source software wallet, I'm a little bit more comfortable because I, I'm not putting any recovery phase into that software wallet. That's really important from my awesome. per security perspective. And I know we have people watching who are into all different types of technologies and coins. I just want to point out this here on your website, which is suggest a wallet and an asset. Um, <laughs> so I think you've got a, a way for people to say, hey, you know, work with my wallet. Uh, what is the process after, you know, people may have suggested something? Does it require a lot of interaction from your team or is yeah. it a really standard yeah. uh, way for a, a wallet provider to come and say, I'd like to support yeah. Keystone? Yeah, actually right now, a lot of people are asking for Monero. We're talking to Monero community right now, but Monero is a little bit different. Uh, also, another thing what we do is that 
if we support a coin or a blockchain, we're not supporting just sending and receiving. We will support all the functionalities. Let me let me take XRP as an example. Uh, Ripple XRP. So Ripple, there are like 19 different kinds of transactions on that blockchain. If we mm -hmm. support Ripple, we're not just sending and receiving is very simple. They also have other 19 kinds of different transactions. And if we support that, we support all that. Uh, we, we support all those functionalities. So if we do Monero, we're not, not just doing sending and receiving. I know there are a lot of like privacy settings and privacy transactions in the Monero uh, ecosystem. And if we do that, we'll support all of them. So that's the way how we do support, not simple support for sending and receiving. I love it. So when you say you support something, there's never going to be a scenario where someone has to downgrade to a software only solution to get some sort of functionality or work with yeah. some particular dApp. Okay. That's awesome. We're getting a request here from South Padre Tony to talk about the self-destruct mechanism. Oh, okay. That, that's it. Actually, self-destruct mechanism is not something we invented. In the, in the old days, uh, you know, in the 70s or in the 80s, uh, there is self-destruct mechanism, but those mechanisms are working on those ATM machines. So the, the most original self-destruct mechanism come from the banking industry on the ATM machines. There, it's, it's very simple. Uh, there's a bag of ink in that machine. And if you break that machine, the bag of ink will explode and it will like put all the ink on the cash in that mm -hmm. machine. So that's the very old design of self-destruct mechanism. Basically, all those banking equipment, uh, they wanted to, if you break into that device and then all the, all the cash or the private keys are destroyed. And also all the vendor machines, uh, other like credit, uh, credit card terminals, they also have this kind of self-destruct mechanism because there are a lot of private keys from the bank in that device and also some proprietary stuff in there. So if you are a hacker, you steal that uh, credit card terminal from a merchant and you break that and then all the private keys are gone. So this is the basic idea of a uh, self-destruct mechanism. And uh, a lot of our engineers, they come from the traditional banking uh, banking industry. And we also move, we also reuse that scheme into our device, which means we're not only using secure element to, to protect your private key. We're also using self-destruct mechanism because just like mm -hmm. I said, when you're using hardware wallet, the most dangerous moment is that the hacker steal your hardware wallet and try to break that and falsely like extract the information there. So we're not just using uh, secure element to protect information. We're also using self-destruct mechanism, which means if they falsely open the device and the, the private keys are gone. So this is another scheme that we use. Great. So it's like a defense in depth mechanism. You know, if, if the self-destruct fails and it likely won't fail, it'll destroy everything. But even then, mm. you've got the secure element that should prevent anyone mm. from getting in. Um, yeah. uh, there, there are a couple different products that you've got here. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the difference between the essential okay. and the pro. Okay. For the essential version, it doesn't come. Basically, the because we come from the Bitcoin community, you know, right? So in a Bitcoin in a Bitcoin community, some people they're just like uh, they're just very hardcore holders. They 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 never touch their they they, they may touch their hardware with like once a year, 
or once two years. In those kind of scenarios, they don't need the, the fingerprinting sensor because they are not high frequency users. Mm. And also they don't need the rechargeable battery because in those scenarios, the rechargeable battery will fail if you don't touch that device. If you don't open that, turn on that device for six months or 12 months, then the rechargeable battery will fail. So for the essential version, that's designed for those low frequency users or for those long-term holders. And that's why we removed the fingerprinting sensor we also removed the rechargeable battery, but it comes with a battery pack so you can use four AAA batteries to turn on the device. So this is the Keystone Essential version and also it's cheaper. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that you thought about the uh, kind of device at rest over many years and what would happen with, yeah. for example, yeah. rechargeable batteries. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hardware wallet is not something like your mobile phone. It's a like something, someone put their life savings there and don't touch it like for yeah. two to three years. We should take, take them into consideration. That's why we have the Keystone Essential version. And for the Keystone Pro version, that's more for high frequency users. And it comes with the fingerprinting sensor and also it comes with a rechargeable battery. And by the way, Keystone Pro also support the AAA battery. So if your Keystone Pro, and because we, we should take the, that into consideration, right? For example, one day, if you don't, if your hardware wallet is broken, and then if you put your recovery phase, one way is you buy another hardware wallet, which will take days. If you put your recovery phase into your software wallet, then you are, you are in risk. So the basic assumption is that your recovery phase never, never, never touch yeah. the online environment. That's why we, we have the AAA battery pack because with that battery pack, even though one day you found out, because the most vulnerable part of a hardware wallet is the battery, right? The rechargeable battery. If one day you, you found out that the rechargeable battery is broken, and then you can have the, uh, the battery pack with four AAA batteries to turn on the device to move your crypto assets. So that's the, that's the design thinking behind this. And also you can see accessories here. We have Keystone Tablet, Tablet Plus, and Tablet Punch. And there are different type of, types of metal storage for your recovery phase. And uh, Keystone Tablet Plus is stronger. Uh, and also we have Keystone Tablet. Why we make this stronger version is that the original Keystone Tablet was tested by Jameson Lab and it fails some of the, some of the tests in the Jameson Lab test. And then we come up with uh, Keystone Tablet Plus, which has more schools, and, but it's, it's harder to use. Some people, they buy two Keystone Tablet as backup, then it's okay. Some people, they want to buy a stronger version, which is Keystone Tablet Plus. You can also try out this metal storage for the recovery phase. And also we have another version with Keystone Punch. You use that with a puncture to, for a small hole so that you know what the recovery phase is. Do all of these uh, tend to be as resilient? I know you said there were some tests that the regular version failed, that the, the, the pro version uh, passed. Yeah, 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 yeah. The plus version is, is better. And also the pump. But the, the sacrifice of the punch version is that it's, it's harder to use. You have to use the center, uh, the picture above this picture. Go up. Yeah, you have used a punch like this mm. to punch a small hole. So it's harder to use. But this is designed for the hardcore Bitcoiners, they love this idea. Awesome. So, you know, what I'm going to nickname in my brain is that the Keystone essentially is uh, the Keystone huddle. 
and the Keystone Pro is the Keystone DGen. <laughs> That's how I'm going <laughs> to keep them straight in, in my brain. Now, I, I know with all the controversy that's been happening, you all do have a little discount somewhere here um, for yeah. people who, who have a, a bought a ledger. Uh, what's that all about? So basically, if, if you are a ledger user, uh, I think we have a tweet. We didn't make that. Uh, we have a tweet saying, so basically, if you are a ledger user, and uh, most likely you have received any kind of like order confirmation email from the ledger. And if you forward that email, but you can remove the sensitive part of that email, for example, your name, uh, your order number, all the sensitive information, and you can forward that email to support at keystone.one. And then we will give you a 30% of uh, coupon for that. I think this would be long-term. So we wanted to, we wanted to save those ledger users by, we don't want you to share your recovery phrase to any third-party companies. Yeah. I love it. I, I love it. So we've, I mean, thank you, Alicia, for taking so much time to walk us through, you know, both the basics and getting into some some uh, things that at least I hadn't considered before. And I know some folks in the chat hadn't either. Um, is there anything else that, you know, before we close, you'd like to share with people who may be watching this? Um, yeah, I think uh, right now we're also developing our third generation hardware wallet. And, uh, but if you wanted to buy the current generation, it's okay because if you buy the current generation and when the third generation come out, we will have a 50% 50 off for you to switch your old model to the new model. So if you wanted to try out Keystone, you can do that. And also uh, the, the, new, the new generation is very exciting. We're upgrading the, the security scheme even higher. And uh, also we're, working hard for the Monero community. I'll go back to the developers saying that you guys should prioritize <laughs> Monero support. <laughs> yes, please. I've been uh, tweeting the foundation folks and I'm saying if you support Monero, then I'm going to buy a device because uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. obviously part of the Monero okay. community as well. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, we, we were like, when we were working on Bitcoin security, we were also working with them and they also use uh, the same QR code scheme as we created with some other software wallets. So, um, but I think they are fully dedicated to Bitcoin. They are not supporting any other blockchains. Yeah. Are there, are there other wallets that you would recommend from a security perspective that you would say are, you know, as good or better in some aspects than Keystone? Mm, I think if you are just using, if you are just using hardware to, to store your uh, Bitcoin, and then code card is a good option for you. Even it's a little bit hard to use, but I think you can adapt to that. And also you can check out the Bitcoin uh, multi-sig scheme between code card and Keystone. So mm -hmm. basically if you do multi-sig, it's highly recommended, highly recommended that you're using different brands of hardware wallet. If you're using a single brand for your uh, multi-sig and then that hardware wallet is single point failure right so if you use multi-sig you should use different brands if you do multi-sig for bitcoin you should check out code card the scheme between code card and keystone for that multi-sig 
I love it. Uh, well, well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, everyone in chat for all your questions and engagement, really appreciate you. Uh, if you've watched this far and you enjoy conversations like this where we get into more of the details, uh, please do like the video, subscribe to the channel. Uh, we bring on amazing founders like Lishan to talk about not just their product, but the entire ecosystem behind it. Um, I do also want to say that none of this was compensated. I'm not getting anything from the Keystone Hardware folks. Uh, uh, just here to share some education with you all and um, you know, give you access to some of the leaders in our community. So with that said, uh, have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you all soon. Cheers. Thanks.